Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself and by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to invite Pastor Ryan Armstrong up. Pastor Ryan is a church planter in Leesburg, and he's been a friend of mine for several years now, and uh, he has done a church planting residency at Grace Alive in uh, the west side of Orlando, and uh, we're grateful to have you, Ryan, and uh, I would love to pray for you as yes, thank you. Uh, you lead us in the word this morning. Father, thank you uh, for this man. Thank you for his family. God, I ask that you would use him today, God, to minister to our hearts, to minister to our souls. God, to this morning build bridges for racial reconciliation in our congregation, that we, God, would be changed by your spirit today through the word you're going to preach through him, and that, God, we would be bridge builders to do good, to love justice and mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, brother. Yeah, thank you. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Those of you who are uh, present with us in the room, those of you who are present with us live streaming, I'm honored to be here uh, to join Cross Point downtown as you all are in this series doing good. Uh, building Bridges for Racial Re Reconciliation. I bring you greetings from the great city of Leesburg, Florida, uh, a place I never thought I would be. Um, but uh, God had it so that uh, me and my wife of 11 years, Nicole, would settle there with our four children, um, my daughter, Justice Grace, my sons, Josiah, Noah, and Micah are all at home watching uh, live. And so I just want to say hello to you. Um, and so, yeah, you guys have uh, uh, pressed into um, this whole conversation surrounding racial reconciliation. And so I'm glad to be here, uh, Pastor Ryan and um, all of you 
who are uh, here serving at, at uh, Cross Point to just join with you in this series as you're seeking to pursue racial reconciliation. So if you've tuned in for the last couple weeks, I know that your theme scripture is Micah 6, 8, uh, which says that he has told you, O man, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so in week one, you looked at justice. Uh, Week two, you looked at mercy. And today I have the uh, assignment preaching on the role of humility as it pertains to reconciliation. For the record, uh, it's nothing like preparing a sermon on humility to convict me of my lack of humility. Amen. So um, as we dive into the text this morning, uh, I pray that we would consider this very significant ingredient uh, in this whole conversation as in, in pursuit of racial reconciliation. And I pray that, um, um, that as we um, dive in this morning, that we would just uh, take the time to have an honest assessment uh, of our own lives and how we might uh, practice this characteristic of God as we represent him uh, in our lives, um, specifically in this season. Um, and so this morning, uh, I want to use as a title, The Role of Humility in Racial Reconciliation. The Role of Humility in Racial Reconciliation. I know we just pray, but let me just uh, pray just briefly. God, we just uh, pray now that you will prepare our hearts to receive all that you have for us this morning. And God, would you use the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, to be acceptable in your sight, Lord, our strength and our strength. In your name that is great, the name that is above every name, in the name of Jesus, amen. So in their book, uh, Good Faith, Being a Christian When Society Thinks You're Irrelevant and Extreme, David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons write, uh, If we get relationships wrong, little else matters. If we get relationships wrong, little else matters. And as we um, survey the current landscape of race relations in America, it's evident that we've got relationship problems. Due to the history of our past and uh, the complexity of our present and the uncertainty of our future, It seems that little else will matter if we get relationships wrong. And so many people are currently suffering relationally in this pandemic because of social distancing due to COVID-19. But prior to the pandemic, systemic racism, prejudice, and racial bias was here and created an environment keeping us relationally distant. See, much of our relationship woes can actually be traced to the lack of humility to enter into the life of someone who is different than I am. Instead, we have opted to make assumptions about one another based on false narratives and stereotypes promulgated by uh, racialized culture and media and generational upbringing, which have caused us to feel as though we know a person without ever really and truly knowing a person. Dr. Eric Mason pastor of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania. He says, proximity breeds empathy, distance breeds suspicion. Proximity breeds empathy, and distance breeds suspicion. 
Well, if this is true, then what will it take for us to live in closer proximity as we seek to build bridges to racial unity? I want to submit this morning is going to take godly humility in order for this to happen. Um, C.S. Lewis says that true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. True humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And so often uh, we possess a Mac Davis mentality when it comes to humility. Mac Davis was that country and western uh, singer and songwriter who in 1980 wrote a song, uh, It's Hard to Be Humble. In it he writes, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. Uh, to know me is to love me. I must be a heck of a man. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best I can. So what about you? Are you doing the best you can to be humble? You see, in our own strength, uh, the best we can do is not good enough. We need a spirit-infused humility that comes as a result of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul's letter to the Philippians is helpful here. In this letter, Paul is writing from a prison cell. He's writing to this church for a couple of reasons. One, he's writing to thank them for sending uh, financial aid through this servant and fellow worker, Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus actually risked his life uh, getting very sick uh, in order to come and provide this financial gift to Paul. And secondly, he's writing to encourage them to have joy in the midst of every circumstance, even as Paul is uh, looking at his circumstance being in prison. He's telling them to embrace uh, a godly perspective as opposed to a worldly one. He writes in chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has, been, what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known through throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Paul is basically saying that what appeared to be a bad thing turns out is actually a good thing because God used it to accomplish his purpose. You see, it's all in a matter of perspective. Uh, in the perspective of the Philippian believers, uh, Paul being imprisoned um, um, uh, may have uh, hindered the gospel or boxed in the gospel, if you will. But in Paul's perspective, uh, the gospel is as free as it's ever been. The gospel has never been bound because of unfavorable circumstances. Sure, Paul would have loved to be released and unshackled, but that wasn't the reality of the situation. For the believer, our mindset needs to be from God's view and not from our limited one. What if, what if we had this perspective when it came to our current circumstances this morning? Could we say that the gospel is advancing even as we are quarantined? Could we look at the racial climate in our country and see God setting up the stage for the gospel to advance because of greater unity in the church? I would hope this would be our perspective. And in, in chapter 1 and verse 27, Paul goes on to say, As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so what, what he does for the rest of the letter is unfold what that worthy life of the gospel looks like. 
And in our passage, humility is essential to living a worthy life. He starts with unity as the basis for humility in verses 1 through 2. He says, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Here, Paul is making the point that unity is the basis for humility. That conditional word, if, assumes that you have been united in relationship with Jesus. And as a result, you have been united with others, with the church, with the body of Christ. But hear me, unity does not mean uniformity. Uniformity says that you must be exactly the same as I am. Unity, true unity says that we are different, and even though we're different, we have the same purpose. This is why believers should not subscribe to colorblindness in the way we see people. For one, uh, it's not true unless you really are colorblind. Two, it diminishes the divine creativity of God to make us different. And three, it severs, it severs and separates me from a unique life experience. And in the body of Christ, we celebrate diversity. We don't dismiss it. And we marvel at the unity between these diverse peoples who would otherwise, apart from Christ, not be together. It's like Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, for just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body and all uh, the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. You know, when I played football back, back, back in the day, I know I looked young, but it was, a, it was a while ago. We all had different positions, yet we were trying to accomplish the same purpose, the same goal, and that was to win every game by outscoring our opponent. But the problem today is that many of us don't see ourselves as members of the same team. Um, that's just because, that just because we are different, we are somehow opponents. But this is a lie from the real opponent. Satan has done a good job at convincing us that we are fighting against one another. But the distinguishing mark for the church that is designed to cause a reaction in the culture and actually convict the world of their own destruction is unity. As he says and points out in chapters 1 and verse 28 of Philippians. That when the world looks at us standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, courageously contending together for the faith of the gospel, this unity convicts them. Jesus prays hard for unity of his disciples prior to going to the cross. In fact, he died to unite us to the Father and to one another. And in verse 2, Paul says to make his joy complete. In essence, what Paul is saying is that um, his joy is made complete when it's expressed in the unity of the church. It should come as no surprise that the devil is trying extremely hard to keep us separated. He knows the power of unity because he witnessed it firsthand in the Godhead before he was cast down from heaven. So he understands the power of truth 
uh, unity. And once we recognize that we are united and on the same team, we have a basis for humility that can now be expressed and practiced in diverse relationships as we build bridges for reconciliation. So how do you know that um, you are maturing in your humility if it's not expressed outwardly in relationship with another person. The truth is you can have humility without genuine relationships, but you can't have genuine relationships without genuine humility. This is why the second point is important, is that others are the barometer for humility. He says in verses 3 through 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interests of others. Am I the only one who said, ouch, reading that? So easy to be selfish. I can be selfish without even thinking about it. Uh, my wife and I actually have become professional referees with our children, uh, and most times we are uh, mitigating and trying to um, help them see their selfishness in order to uh, think of their brother or sister more than they think of themselves. Here's the thing, I've never actually taught my children how to be selfish. It was just that in them. And the reality of the matter is that sin nature is at work in all of us. Andrew Murray in his famous book entitled Humility the place of entire dependence on God is, from the very nature of things, the first duty and the highest virtue of the creature and the root of every virtue. And so pride, or the loss of humility, is the root of every sin and evil. In other words, what Murray is saying this morning is that humility lives as if everything depends on God. Pride lives as if everything depends on me. See, humility is to take Jesus at his word when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Too often we use humility as a posture of weakness. Uh, we tend to think that we are losing out on something. And James writes in James 4 that the reason wars and fights arise among us is because we have uh, selfish desires internally that are not being met by other people. And, 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 and that's something, there's something that we want that we're actually not getting that. So Paul says, consider others more important than yourself. Not that they are more important, but your posture is such that you're communicating through your care and your concern for another person uh, that they see themselves as important because you are considering them. I think if this had been the posture of 
the evangelical church, perhaps uh, more could have been done to prevent systemic racism and injustice that has festered in our nation due in large part because of the church's complicity over the years. This is why I believe that the great tragedy of the Black Lives Matter movement uh, is that it did not start in the church. That's not to say that the organization as a whole is consistent and in step with the gospel, but the sentiment that black lives do matter is definitely affirming the Imago Dei, the image of God in black and brown people. And I know some people are going to say that we don't need to talk about uh, racism and uh, social justice, and, and we just need to preach the gospel and preach to the heart to convict people of, of sin. But all throughout Scripture, from Genesis 3 to Revelation 22, when God is addressing sin, he's addressing it in particular. And I don't remember a time when Jesus spoke to the Pharisees, uh, and he didn't call out the exact sin uh, that they were guilty of in particular. Paul's letters address particular sin in the church. The truth is, if the gospel can't be applied to sin in particular, then it is a gospel impotent. We must repent over racism and, and the way it has impacted our relationships in the body of Christ. We must repent for our lack of consideration of the last, the least, and the left out. To live worthy life of the gospel of Christ means living out humility by considering others more important than ourselves. And to the extent that we consider others more important, we will determine the barometer of our humility. And so... Ask yourself, whose interests am I looking out for? When it comes to racial reconciliation, who am I in relationship with right now that I, am, uh, uh, that, or that I can learn from and consider uh, more important than myself? Who can I enter into their life and hear their story without becoming defensive and throwing out statistics to support all the reasons why he or she is wrong? What attitude do I need in order to look to the interests of others? Well, Paul would, would say there's no more perfect embodiment, no more perfect attitude of humility than Jesus. That's why the incarnation is the best expression of humility. He says, adopt the same attitude, in verse 5 through 8, of that in Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Paul wants his readers to focus on Jesus as uh, he is the best expression of humility in his incarnation. The incarnation is the process of God the Son coming to earth in flesh. John tells us in his gospel uh, that the Word um, became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word there is the eternal Son who existed in the beginning with God the Father and was himself God the Son. It's a popular um, movie back uh, some years ago. Remember the Titans. This uh, newly integrated high school team at T.C. Williams was struggling to uh, come together as one when the two defensive all-stars 
Julius Campbell, who is black, and Gary Bertier, who is white, bump into one another during a break from their grueling two-a-day practice. Uh, they each have so, a few words for the other. Uh, and Gary, who's the captain, he's, he's uh, the captain of the defense. He's telling Julius to, he needs to play within the flow and the system of the team for the sake of the team. And, and Julius is adamant that no one is doing their job. And so he's arguing that he's going to look out for his own interest and for himself. And Gary says to him, you see, man, that's the worst attitude anyone can have. To which Julius replies, attitude reflects leadership. Attitude reflects leadership. Well, here Paul is saying that Jesus' attitude of humility reflects his leadership. According to Paul, the incarnation of Jesus reveals his humility in a few ways. He, he points to the eternal existence, uh, saying that he existed in the form of God. He's pointing to the fact that Jesus has the privilege of being God. He says his equality with God, he doesn't see as something to be exploited. He didn't use the fact that he was God to lord it over sinners, but he leveraged his privileged position as God for the benefit of others. Then Paul says that he emptied himself. He, he emptied himself. He does not abuse his divine status and position and authority. In fact, he exchanged all that to serve others. That he emptied himself doesn't mean that he became less God. But as one commentator writes, Christ did not selfishly exploit his divine form and mode of being. But by his own decision, he emptied himself of it or laid it by, taking the form of a servant by becoming man. You see, the essence remains, the mode of being changes, a genuine sacrifice. Paul says it this way elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. He says, for you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich for your sake, he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. The grace of God is on full display in Jesus. When we deserve to be condemned in our sin for all eternity, God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love that he had for us, he made us alive even though we were dead. It's by grace that we've been saved through faith. It wasn't because we were so good. It's because his humility to consider us more important than himself. And the reality is he's God. He didn't have to do it. But in the incarnation, we see the Most High assume the position of the Most Low. Brothers and sisters, if we're going to build bridges for racial reconciliation, we must first realize the first bridge was shaped like a cross. This God uh, came, who came in flesh, bridged the divide where sin had had. Uh, created this distance and this disconnect between us and God, where sin had severed this cord of our relationship with God the Father. The Son, Jesus, would bridge the divide through his life, his death, his burial, and his glorious resurrection. 
Andrew Murray commented that his humility is our salvation, and his salvation is our humility. So finally, Paul points to the exaltation, which is the goal of humility. He says, for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, the cross was the humiliation of the incarnation, but the glory, that is, Christ's exaltation was the goal of the humiliation. Ultimately, Jesus was looking past the cross, back to the glory on the other side of crucifixion uh, after uh, he finished his messianic work. Hebrews 12 says that uh, we should uh, have our focus on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was able to look uh, past the cross. He knew what he was going to have to endure, but he saw the glory that uh, existed with the Father before time began. And in order to accomplish what we needed him to accomplish, he had to come and do what we could not do in bringing us back into right relationship with the Father. See, he knew that coming in the flesh would mean dying on the cross. And yet he knows there's no other way. He's in the garden. He's praying, Lord, uh, uh, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But it, it, it was no other way. He says, yet not my will, but thy will be done. Humility, even in that moment, he's expressing his obedience to the point, Paul says, of death, even death on the cross. To show that he was faithful and merciful, he comes and he acts on our behalf. Paul says, that for this reason God exalted him. For this reason of posturing himself, willingly humbling himself, he's been exalted and given the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now this goes against everything that, 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 that we can uh, or have, have been taught uh, uh, that humility would somehow bring exaltation. Because we're told that in order to get to the top, you got to be aggressive. You got to step on everyone else. You got to um, look out for you and your own interests. But Jesus actually shows us a different way. Jesus shows us that in the kingdom, the way up is down. Peter writes it like this in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 10. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. 
In other words, what Peter is saying that when you humble yourself, God will fix you up. He'll restore you. He'll set you up. He'll establish you. He'll build you up. He'll strengthen you. And he'll hold you up. He'll support you. But there is no up where there is first no under. There can be no up where there first is no under. Living out humility will allow us an opportunity to enter into hard relationships of building bridges of reconciliation for the sake of the gospel of, and the glory of Christ. And so uh, Paul alludes to this day that's coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And, and, and the realities of the end times is that uh, as we peer at the exalted Christ in his return, uh, humility will be the posture of everybody. And whether uh, you lived out humility in time, the end will culminate in mandatory humility from everyone. In eternity, bowed down, confessing Jesus as Lord. So humility is the inevitable outcome on the final day. But I would submit that humility should be the way we engage one another every day. So as we consider ways to posture ourselves toward humility as we seek to realize unity uh, in greater regularity in the church, we need to understand that we are on the same team. We don't need to be dismissive of one another when it comes to our cares and our concerns, when it comes to the story and the unique experiences of others. They're our teammates. Uh, we need to be quick to consider them more important than we see our own interests. We need to serve them instead of suppressing them. But then also, as we've seen in Jesus, he does not uh, sit on his uh, divine recliner in glory, if you will, but he enters into our world. He puts on flesh so that he can feel what we feel. And experience what we experience. And so maybe this morning we need to uh, incarnationally enter into relationship with people this morning. So that we might have greater empathy and greater love for our brother and our sister. Then finally we need to live our lives every day with the ever-present reality that Jesus is exalted because of his humiliation. That we need to uh, postulate ourselves in humility so that we might be like Christ. You see that you are never uh, more like Christ than when you are humbly serving your brother or your sister. Likewise, you're never more unlike Christ when you are seeking your own interests. Crawford Loritz says that humility is the intentional recognition that God is everything to you and that you are nothing without him. It is the acknowledgement that life is not about you and that the needs of others are more important than your own. So I want to challenge us today to know that I can't build bridges without burying my pride under the trust of humility. That I cannot build bridges without bearing my pride under the trust of 
humility because only in the posture of humility will we ever see racial reconciliation. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray that you would take um, this word and that you would bind it to our hearts, that it would transform and change the way we engage in relationship. God, help us not to uh, try to take the easy way out by avoiding difficult relationships and pressing into uh, difficult conversations with people who are unlike us. But Lord, I pray that we would take on this posture of humility and enter into the very thing that is difficult, the very thing that is uncomfortable, in order that there might be greater unity and greater love and a greater demonstration of who you are because your people are seeking to live out this gospel in such a way that unites us. Oh Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in the midst of your people as we do your work in the world, doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God. Amen.